0: The Creative Trust is a limited podcast series to celebrate 20 years of Gloss Creative. Together with our Stella alumni, we'll share everything we know to be true about the creative process and the business reality of running a small but powerful design platform. Two decades ago, I started Gloss Creative as my creative platform for experimentation and exploration. What has ensued has been an endlessly rewarding creation of ephemeral installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. I learned early on that I could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that lasted long after the physical immersion had gone. It crystallised my long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force and that creative renewal is your most powerful weapon over time. Welcome to The Creative Trust. Here we are in Season 2 and we're up to Episode 4 already. This is too exciting. I have assembled here today in front of me the incredible team from Willett Marketing. I've worked with Willett for quite a while now, probably at least 10 years. Let's, let's say 10 years, I'd say. I first met Willett and we did some very great, fun marquees together. I guess I love working with Willett because of the energy that they bring to every project that they do. Together with Roz, We've got Laura Burnham, Laura Crocker and Laura Nathan. It's obviously the joke that Roz always has. You can only work at Willett if you're a Laura. And they have, I believe, had up to five Lauras. Is that correct? (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Which is great. So the energy and the feeling and the culture of the team is something that Steph, Jahan and our team and Luce notice when we work with them. Everything is possible. Everything is fun. I guess they're very finely honed skills. Make everything a joy and kind of effortless. And I think together today, we are talking about what event managers do. So I think it's really great for us. Obviously, this team are both creative and event managers. So what I'm really interested in today is to find out how this sort of beautiful mix that they have of right and left brain, how that comes together. As you know, my health premise is about understanding how you got creative, how you got to where you are. So I guess, Roz, we can start with you because you started this um, or your family started this 30 years ago. How did you grow
2: up?
3: Well, I did grow up in quite a few countries. I was born in Australia, lived in KL, lived in New York. Ended up back in Melbourne. I think I've always just had a bit of a creative bone. I actually started in film production and did a lot of photography, and I ended up teaching, and then I ended up joining the family business. So I think that there was a whole communication side with the teaching part of it, but then also the production and creative skills that come with filmmaking and photography, imagery, making images. Probably melded. To when I joined the business, and you know, there wasn't a straight path at all. It just came together. And when I first joined, I had no idea if I was going to be any good at it at all. But I think a combination of people's skills and creative, and as I said, a bit of organisational skill as well, just came together. And
0: tell me, you've mentioned that it was a family firm. So, really interested to see when you were even younger, were you cognizant that your parents worked in a particular field or, and how did that creativity, was there any of that from an early age that sort of you noticed or you didn't really notice it when you were a kid?
3: No, ab- absolutely. My father was an ad man. He was actually Ooh. a madman, Madison Avenue, Beautiful. Madman for a while. Oh, that's too cool! Yeah, so, that's very cool. and he was totally service driven. He was an account service guy. Um, his clients were would come sailing with him. I went to the football every Saturday with the client from Nabisco, Chips Ahoy, all of that. That was all part of my childhood. All of his products, we could only have the products that he worked on in the house. We were really told off if he brought anything in that was a competitor. And I have quite a, you know, a very strong memory of all of that. Um, And so when the business started, my father and brother started it, that culture was very much embedded. So the whole service and client loyalty and understanding the client business was very much started from him and it's stayed within our ethos, you know, ever since.
0: Wow, that's bloodline, isn't it? It's total bloodline. <laughs> 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 yeah. I love it. So, Laura Burnham,
1: yeah. how did you get <laughs> to be who you are?
0: <laughs> um, I can't wait for this story. <laughs>
1: um well uh, similar to Roz, it has not been a straight line at all i was so loud at high school it was kind of i was always told you're in pr there was no such thing as event management in late 90s so it's you have to be in pr i wasn't good at the spin though i didn't I was never really good at the, uh, at the, I, yeah, <laughs> I kind of, I have, I, I can't tell a lie, I'm pretty what you see is what you get. So PR wasn't there. I, PR definitely wasn't for me. In u 12, you do a gap test, which is kind of, you answer a lot of questions and it spits out essentially, this is what you should do. <clears throat> and in the gap test, it came out as either a florist or a policewoman. And, I mean, the first thing Mum said was, no, go back, do it again. (laughs) What else is going to come out? Not happy. Not happy. (laughs) Um, But now that I think, like... What you were just talking about earlier around creativity and organisation, I mean, those two that spat out are so perfect for what we do. The florist is the creative side, the policewoman (laughs) is the organisational, you've got to, it's all fine to be creative but then there's got to be practicality behind it. I'd look back on that Year 11 test and think, God, they got it right.
0: How how
1: incredible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It is when you sort of only see those things in hindsight. In hindsight, yeah, maybe.
1: exactly. Yeah. And
0: as a child, did you grow up in the country?
1: Yes, I did. <laughs> I grew up um, in a small town called Daniliquin in New South Wales. I grew up on a farm. So there was freedom in that and, you know, driving cars when we were five or six, as long as we had our stack hat on, we were allowed to drive. There. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I went to, I went to boarding school when I was 11 years old in year seven. And that was, I mean, we just grew up really quickly and learned responsibility. But also it was a camp with all of our friends. So it was. Just just fun every single night and every weekend and and innocent we're 11 years old and just all girls bunking in together in dorms and um so I think my fun personality I think definitely started way back then and those girls are still my best friends my ride or dies to this day as well so it's a you know it's a 30-year friendship and they know everything and, and they yeah Every time I see them, I feel young again because it was 11 when we first met. Perfect, perfect. I love it. What about you, Laura Brocker?
2: Well, I come from actually quite a creative family. Um, My mum is actually an artist. Um, But even though uh, my dad's a a doctor, he also is really creative. He's got creative outlets and um, definitely in the kitchen. Cooking is a creative outlet that my whole family share. So, and I think that's a common theme of your podcast, really, (laughs) is food. (laughs) Um, And so food, I think, you know, creatively, my family love planning a menu almost as much as we love sharing one and, and cooking together. And there's always a great sense of celebration and occasion when we come together. So I think that has been a big sort of part of my background and kind of, yeah, landing where I have so... And have you always had that sort of logistics vibe?
0: You know, yeah, I like think
2: it's funny when you were saying like the left, the relationship with your left brain and your right brain because, um, you know, within my family, although we're creative, like we're also very um, What's it, is it right practical? brain or, le- or left brain, which is the... Yeah, right brain is creative. Right brain is creative. And left is organisation. So a lot of the members of my family actually have left brain careers. So they're engineers and doctors and things like that. But there's definitely a balance because, yeah, I, th- I feel like I've definitely got both. Like I wouldn't even necessarily describe myself as creative. I would say that I am more practical but there is definitely that creativity even in the practical kind of ways that we work so and when did that start to show was it something
0: at school or you know when did that when did you start to get the feeling of oh this is
2: well, I, like to- I think that sense of fun that Laura has talked about is is always been something that I've had as well um, and I had a failed attempt at university where I dropped We've out. We've yeah, those. We'll have those. <laughs> so I dropped out first semester, um, but I was just tell them what you
1: were studying, Laura. I was
2: studying quite randomly agriculture, <laughs> and tell me agriculture more. was kind of my vehicle to get into Melbourne University because I could see how much fun people were having at college. So Perfect. I was successful. I got to college at Melbourne Uni and I was having the time of my life. So it was just unfortunately the study wasn't a part of that. So, so you did ag- agriculture? I did 6 months of agriculture, <laughs> so one semester, <laughs> and I failed spectacularly. Um I think I had one subject pass on a 50. So it was a pretty yeah, significant failure. Um but I was having such a great time like I didn't want it to end. So I kept living on res. And I used my spare time to start planning parties and things with all of the college crew. So I was planning, you know, pub pub crawls and, <laughs> um, you know, the the usual uni activities and having a fantastic time. And and that's when I kind of felt like I was naive and, you know, lucky enough to think that you know life is about fun. Why not make a job out of it? And what could be more fun than being a party planner? That is just perfect. Isn't yeah. It? So I
0: just love you're more of our lightly qualified very lightly qualified from the school of life yeah Yeah. (laughs) no, we're we're all for that we love it what about you laura i would say
4: i grew up in a non-creative household um but coming from a european family my mother is italian my dad's greek so i was kind of indirectly exposed to a lot of culture um food similar to laura crocker is a massive thing in our family especially having that european background And then I feel like I was just constantly always taking in my environments and kind of aesthetically pleasing spaces and kind of always up to date with what's on trend. I love kind of fashion um, and just kind of pop culture and just kind of keeping up to date with that. So I feel like that's had a heavy influence in kind of my creative side, I guess. Uh, and then always wanting to be involved in the fun as well. So, kind of again, I'm quite a loud person, not as loud as Laura Burnham, but <laughs> I'm from one of four in my family. So, you've kind of got to speak louder and louder to be heard. So, I'm um, kind of, yeah, being that loud person and wanting to be involved in the fun and what's happening around me, where do I need to be, and where is the action. So, I think that's kind of influenced where I am now.
0: And when did you work out? Like, what was that moment where? It- you just all those things, you know, aligned for you and you, you actually were like, Okay, event management is something for me, I'd like to do this.
4: I think actually quite late on. So I went through uni and completed a Bachelor of Commerce, um a, a triple major in marketing, HR and Management. So kind of quite dry uh compared to what events is and that creative side. So I think till I finished that degree, started traveling, I think that's where I kind of fell into Willett and found found my place at Willett, which was really incredible and kind of just really exposed myself to the industry as well and the experience of being there for seven and a half years now and just building on that experience and kind of continuously exposing myself really felt that this is kind of feeding my need for that creativity but also that organization and the production side of things as well
0: I've seen your run sheets <laughs> they're <great>. detailed <laughs> I'll ask you about that later
4: all right, I'm interested for
0: you all to describe and this might be a general discussion. Your creative pro- creative, I guess, an organizational program or your process that you have individually, but then also as a collective. I'm really interested to know that how that all works together, how you work together as a team, that sort of thing. So, if you want to start like what's your personal a creative process, Ros?
3: Well, we did run through these questions and I was assigned this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw seeds out so that you can all oh. throw in because it is actually a very collaborative process that we take. And we, we went through, we took the advantage of time during COVID to actually do a whole lot of things around our systems and processes and creative was one of them. And we kind of, you know, some people say they're not creative, they're better at this or better at that, but I actually believe and I think we've kind of explored that everyone is creative in their own way. You know, problem-solving, on your feet, at an event, something goes wrong, that is creative thinking, That's finding right. the lateral solution when X doesn't stand up the way it should. You find a fix and you do it. So, you know, there's there's all sorts of creative thinkers. We, we worked out all our... Creative types um, in yeah, that all process, types.
0: and a lot of people have said that on on these series is, and I think it was Ross Sabatini was saying he does see himself as a problem solver. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think I think that's as, yes, you can yes. be creative and artistic, um, yeah, in that sense. But this idea of there's a challenge to be solved, and we're the people who solve it and move it forward.
3: Exactly, and so we. We always start from the brief. We always start from the client's business and the brief. And you have to work within those parameters. And, you know, having that parameter is actually gives you a lot of freedom. Give me the freedom of a good brief is, you know, a bit of a catchphrase that we've taken on. Um, And working within that to find a really great creative solution So we've we've really um, set up a a, a very strong briefing process. We interpret, reinterpret the client's brief within our own way. We workshop it together. Uh, We work through insights around the table. Yes, and certain people may take the an aspect of it, and then we'll all share. And then there are different stages where we come together, where we go apart. And one of the things we've stopped using is actually the word brainstorm, because we found that that's actually can be a bit of an inhibitor. Some people in the group will speak out and say things, but we're missing a lot of other ideas. So one of our fabulous creatives took us through a a different way of doing it, which is, here's the brief. Let's talk about, you know, what they want. Go away. Do what you want to do and take time to go for a walk, you know, spend However long we've got, sometimes we don't have that long. <laughs> no. Quick turnaround. <laughs> but around. you actually do need to to go into your own head and your own space uh, to come up with ideas and thoughts. And so then they come back into the group and everybody's ideas come in. And, and we found that's working really well.
0: Do you reverse brief on occasions? Or if you get a brief and you don't think it's the, they're asking for the right thing... Do you go back and say, I'm not going to be following the brief or have you had that Well, we would never
3: say we're not going to follow, (laughs) but we would go back and we would question, we definitely question, we definitely reverse brief. We definitely, we we do that all the time because we're not often getting all the info that we need.
0: Can you describe for everyone what a reverse brief is just quickly?
3: Well, essentially it's just um, our, our identification of what we need to know around business objectives, target audience key messages. I mean, there are basic things we all need to understand what the outcome needs to be. And we don't, you don't always get that. So you write it yourself based on what you know about the business and what we think an out the the best outcome might be. And then we'll take it back to the client, work it through with them. And sometimes they say yes and sometimes they say no. This is what we want. And all we can do is our best so we always have that view with everything you recommend if you think they're going down the wrong way maybe you recommend twice if it's really wrong <laughs> but eventually you just have to do what they want and sometimes that can reflect badly on you because something comes out you know, it could have been so much better but <laughs> that's the that's how it works yeah
0: definitely and i do think there is often i you know we've got the saying there are no rules you know this thing of Yeah, if it's not quite the the brief's not quite right, then we do go back and say, look, I think it could be this. There's this possibility that we could do this and make it amazing, and sort of strive for the best we can. Yeah, I'm interested to hear about um, the process of once you've got your ideas, how does it all? How is it all distilled and communicated?
1: Well, we called Laura Nathan.
4: I think, I mean, we, it's a very collaborative approach, like Ros has said, but I think once we've kind of nailed down an embedded idea, it's then going and practically, can we pull this off? And realistically, with the budget that we're working towards, is it achievable? And timeframe sometimes is a massive factor with all of that too. So uh, it's interpreting yeah that brief and placing it into um, a really thorough presentation and deck that we would provide to our client and present um, in person over Zoom these days, thanks to COVID, uh, and then provide. All the supporting documentation, so detailed budgets, and in addition to that, if something might not fit within budget, we're always offering that to the client and just saying, "If you've just got a little bit more, we might mm-hmm. be able to achieve this. So if we had a little bit more time, we can do this." It's so. Good to ask because
0: you it never definitely know. is. Don't yeah, don't second guess. Exactly,
2: Amanda, and then you I've e- asked on your behalf. Yeah,
1: thanks. <laughs> <it was just laughs> Money don't want can count. Any idea?
4: Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely, kind of presenting all options to client and just everything really thorough. And then from there, it would be client feedback, revisions and updates, tweaking budgets, and from approval, then actually making it happen and getting yeah. it off
1: ground. That's the biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. In an the ideal world, is. the client saying, "Great, ticked yeah. off." Do your thing. Yeah. We'll see you at the event. Yeah, it never happens. No, it never <laughs> happens. That's why I say an ideal world. <laughs> There's no ideal yeah. world. No.
0: I'm really interested to hear about the actual presentation. You you work with some pretty amazing companies. You work with um, executives, brand managers, CFOs, CEOs. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the confidence it takes to present.
4: You definitely need a lot of confidence to present. And like you said, we work with an array of clients across multitude of industries. So you do have to adapt the way you present to each client and make sure you're talking to them in a way that they will understand. Uh, so we definitely prepare ourselves when we're going into one of those meetings and adapting the way that we'll present for that particular client. Sometimes it can be just a really casual chat over a table. Other times it will be really formal where there are executives in the room and they might not quite understand the world that. we live in and what we produce so you do have to go in a lot more detail and kind of step by step take them through that process so yeah each client you definitely need to adapt and change the way that we present. What about you Laura?
1: Um, Well over the years confidence has come about because I know I'm good at this I can do this I can answer any question so you know I think 20 years ago when I first started out the idea of talking to a CEO was just so bamboozling to me, um, but now I th- there is confidence that comes with yeah. what I'm talking about. There's courage in my conviction, you know. Uh, we also do we get to know our clients really, really well, and there is a certain matching. Of people within the business to our clients, knowing who the client is and personalities that will match. So, we do find that the clients that we work with, because we we work on all clients together, but the one on one stuff will just be with someone. You know, someone will take a lead with a client, and you'll find that they're similar personalities, they work in similar ways. So, we're quite clever in that way.
2: And it depends, like, how the, you know, you kind of get an understanding of how. what a client needs and Mm -hmm. how they need to interpret what you're giving them so there's people that have a vision and that they can see a mood board and kind of get an understanding of how that will come how that will evolve and come to life whereas there are people that you know they can't see that they need to be quite literal about you know about what you're giving them so I find that you know we because we do work with our clients you know we build strong relationships with them you, you kind of come to know what they need in order to progress the job So mm. and, and we try and kind of do that for them. So
0: That's so important, isn't it, knowing how people need to receive the mm. information. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know who to show pictures to and then there are the clients we know that I can just speak to. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So that some people can just, from your words, see what you're talking about. Definitely. Whereas others like a very literal translation Mm -hmm. and you need need an
1: illustration. What exactly
4: will it look like? Is this the exact material that will be used? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah.
2: I'm just thinking, don't put this in, of that how many lemons will there be in that
1: arrangement? (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, no.
2: Talk to us about
0: that. <laughs> Colour, <laughs> Laura, legal we need to know. Legal have
1: an issue with, with there the being bar. more yeah. limes than lemons. lemons because the actual product is more lemony than limey. <laughs> legal have an issue with that floral <laughs> arrangement.
0: Okay, yeah. so let's just have a chat while we're here about <laughs> difficult clients. Or clients that are very specific. I think a lot of the time, you know, we call them difficult clients. But really, you know, sometimes there's uh, where they sit, there's a lot of pressure from above Mm -hmm. and, you know, they may not all have the skills that we have. How do you influence your clients to understand, particularly when I talk about when it comes off the page, you know, that moment where you've been looking at your prayers now you're standing in a space and we've got the lemon and lime situation, How do you educate your clients to understand and trust you with the right amount of lemons? (laughs) Mm -hmm. When do you give up? Like when do you let them win the war? When do you win the battle? I was actually just
1: about to say at the end of the day, the brand needs to have what it needs and they are the custodians of that brand. So I'm more likely to let them have what they need. And if that means there's also a point where I try a lot of the time not to get too attached to creative ideas and especially in the lead up because we all know that we actually get to the event and what was on the paper actually doesn't work within the event space. So to not have that emotional attachment, it's easy to say that has to come off the wall, that chair actually doesn't work and we need to send it away that floral arrangement, as beautiful as it is, as much as it costs, doesn't actually fit in person. So I always try not to emotionally attach and it's much more of decision, a, decisive, a decision-making process. You don't want that? Great. It's out. Don't worry about it. You want more of this? Great. We'll get more of that.
0: I've noticed that with you guys, that you check your egos at the door and I think that shows, like you're saying, you don't hold on to it for too long. You know, you, you I've seen you push for things, but you sort of at some point go, let's move forward. Yes. Um, and I, you know, um, I've noticed this kind of leave your ego at the door thing. And it's it's really powerful, I think. And it's a to me, it's a sign of emotional intelligence. Thank you, that <laughs> yeah. that you can pull up and understand that it is a brand job that you're doing. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's exciting.
1: Mm. And good. I think we're not doing our job if you walk into an environment and you know straight away this is Willett because we're putting our Willett brand on it. What the Willett brand is actually the production of it, and how the level smoothly, of the level of service, it's not a look.
3: Or how the brand sings exactly.
1: in you, you know Exactly. You know, there are some where you walk in, you think, oh, so-and-so has definitely done this. You would never know, hopefully, with our events when you walk into it, this is a Willett event. If you walked back a house and saw how organised it is back a house, hopefully that would be, this is a Willett event.
0: I love it. Yeah, yeah,
1: but not the front of house. Yeah,
0: no, that's, that's, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Um, speaking of organisation, we mentioned run sheets. Just describe for everyone what a run
4: sheet is and why it's an amazing tool for you to use. The run sheet is your Bible, your event Bible. It is everything that you absolutely need to kind of execute an event on ground. So it uh, will have your timing. So nine o'clock you're on site, 10 o'clock X is coming on site to install and then we turn it over into these are the event timings and the event is now live and breaking down that down depending on what event elements there are. There are a couple of different versions of run sheets. So that's kind of a very top line. You also have your detailed production, which covers, everything bump in, bump out, your suppliers coming in and out, and then sometimes you do have a third one which includes all your AV elements that happen throughout that live event as well and focus on those AV channels if it's screen content, different music, entertainment coming in and out as well. So it is your event bible. Everything kind of should be housed in there. I even include a shopping list in my run sheet. So if I'm on site and I need to be running around, I can tick that off and know I've got that actioned. I
0: love it. That's super efficient.
4: I am really
0: interested to hear about your favourite projects. I want to hear Mm. all of the stories. I want to hear the horror stories. (laughs) Who would like to start? What are our favourite projects? And we were just discussing before we started this, how many amazing projects we've actually worked on together. Together. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So keen to hear about the fun, your funnest project you've ever done.
3: I want to start with Mechaland. It's always my (laughs) favourite.
0: Why is it your
3: favourite? And the reason is um, essentially it was an incredible team of people from the senior client that we dealt with, the beautiful agencies that we worked with, the whole team, the content of it, every single person that was involved with it really were just great people who we just got on with it and made quite an incredible and it was an incredible outcome. It was, it was,
0: yeah. And for the people who haven't been to Mecca Land, it was a four day beauty junk junkie festival. How many brands?
3: Hundreds, hundreds, I would say.
0: Yeah, hundreds of brands in one space. And it was experiential, immersive it was literally like a playground. Mm. And, and we
3: were not a beauty product. We were a dry brand that should have failed miserably there. And actually, we were voted the best activation two years in a row at that place.
0: And I remember <laughs> how, you, how you went about that. And, you know, you, we worked together and we said, okay, we've got this really dry brand. How are we going to? life to it and it was pretty incredible i think at that time the brand had done research into the ages of the people who were going to be there and what they would love and talk about mm-hmm. and i think i remember the research was that 49 percent of 14 to 25 year olds at that time identified as being gender neutral in some way and we'd had this amazing idea that we would use Karen from finance (laughs) because that would be perfect with a financial institution Mm. just because of her name but actually once the client saw the brand and you know the research they went yes let's do this Mm. and that led to some very happy results as Mm. you said Mm. it, it cut through and connected with a new audience for that market which was so So exciting,
3: you know. And unfortunately, they may not have been quite prepared to leverage it, which was unfortunate. But they let us play with their logo, you know, and they let us do a lot of things. It was a real highlight for me. I think, yeah, the whole thing was, uh, it was a lot of fun too, but it was just what an outcome and it really made waves internally with that brand and, you know. Yeah,
1: what a start. My favourite. I love it. <laughs> what are you about you, Burnham? Uh, there are so many. I uh, uh, there are so many don't different know. types of <laughs> events. I yeah. honestly I don't know. I mean, the very first year I worked in the birdcage and I was a work experience girl and vacuuming the marquees. I think
0: that's where we met it is where (laughs) we met yeah absolutely
1: and I remember seeing you in the birdcage and thinking one day I might be able to work with her one day (laughs) and it was so many years later yeah but that was for me I still remember that very first year and just being blown away that you know that this is actually what I could do for the rest of my life be a part of this Beautiful. Yeah. And secondary, it would have to be Splendour in the Grass. I mean, any music festival. We went there thinking, oh, I'm going to be so old and I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb. And it was just beautiful and incredible and life-changing and, yeah, reinvigorated my love for the events industry without a doubt.
0: So you've done a lot of travel, you guys. You, yes. you really travel a lot of places. Yeah. I was going and to you've say seen a lot of things. things.
2: Yeah. What are your favourite places to travel on work? Well, I was going to say my favourite events would have to be some of the destination events. They're hard work and long days, but you it, you're so encompassed by the event. Like you are literally eating, breathing, sleeping with the client and all of the guests. So you're really experiencing it with them. And um, Laura Burnham and I have been very fortunate to have done some site visits together without the client. Um, so...
1: <laughs> Hawaii was a highlight.
2: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sand duning in Dubai. Yes,
1: yes, that was, yeah, that was, that was very good.
2: It was a spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> have you been shopping somewhere? Yeah, we've been to Sephora. Oh, was it Sephora? We oh, discovered Sephora, Sephora in, in Hawaii, Hawaii before yes. it came to Australia and it was when the dollar was at parity. Happy day. And it was just, we were in there every single day.
1: And I remember you went into Victoria's Secret and I was like, whose secret? <laughs> <laughs> you, it was so long ago. It wasn't in Australia. And you're like, oh, this is my favourite place to buy my undies. I was like, I don't know what that is. But, no, we've been to, well, yeah, we've been to Hawaii, Dubai, LA. Um, Japan. Japan, Fiji. which was just beautiful. Fiji. I think I've been to Fiji over 15 times for work. Wow. Which is absolutely incredible. Like, what is this life? Incredible. And that's for site visits, for events, and BG was a real go-to destination for a long time there. Oh, New Zealand as well. The stuff that we've been able to do in New Zealand alone is pretty incredible. We're very, very lucky. Oh, I went to Mauritius on a for <laughs> Great. Mil. I mean, yeah. who gets to do that? You do yeah exactly
0: there is this high to all of the process of an event you know as you build towards it and then it happens and then there's the inevitable drop off I've noticed you guys work really long hours when events are on what do you do to restore and revive how do you stop the burnout
2: well I mean to stop the burnout I find that we we definitely feed off each other's energy so we would never leave a man behind so any on-site work is always more than one person and that way you've got someone to lean on quite literally sometimes um so we really hold each other up and i think that we've all worked so closely together now for such a long time there's just a brilliant culture in Willett and the team and and so i think yeah we just really feed it feed off each other's energy And then afterwards, I think you're on such a high, like it's high intensity, high energy. And so, you know, we'll often go out afterwards and and celebrate together as well. And I've noticed that is something, you know, that you do.
0: You go out and have drinks and you're always in the new restaurants and that sort of thing. Um, and it looks like you have a fun time. It's part of just, the job. Yeah. You've,
2: got to, You've got to know where to what the good restaurants are. You've got to have yes. the recommendations. Latest
1: food, and we need to thank our suppliers and clients as well. You know, a lot of the times it's not just us as a team. No. It's who made this successful. And let's treat ourselves.
0: Mm. Thanks for the dinner at Long Grain. That was <laughs> yeah. well,
1: relationships are a huge
3: part of the success of the business. So internal as well as our clients and suppliers. So we. We see that's the natural place for us all to get to know each other and have fun and, you know, bond either before or after or during. And, yeah, so – and we like each other, don't we? So we actually like being together. Yeah. Um, Can
1: I also say, though, there's a lot of Real Housewives watching happening.
3: You know it's <laughs> yeah.
1: it's 0 to 100. We are 100 100 100 and then we are 2 days on our backs watching Beverly Hills housewives. Yeah. You know, there's got to be and quiet <laughs> yeah. don't talk to me is a big thing just quiet is required now. That there's always so a day
3: important. in lieu. Day in lieu, they work either weekend then there's time off to Recharge, Recharge. get ready for the next. It ebbs and flows like,
2: you know, the industry, you know, there's a major event on and it's, you know, you always know that November, the start of November Mm -hmm. is is full on. Um, But then naturally, you know, we usually have a few weeks kind of wind down following that. So there's always time to sort of collect yourself and get ready for December. I love it.
0: You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. (laughs) (laughs) I've noticed that over time... Your business has had some really long-term relationships with brands. How do you get new brands? And obviously, to last 30 years, there's a way that you've acquired new business. How do you go about that, Ros?
3: We tend to take the, pro- the approach of relationships. It's organic. So people move within the industry and we were lucky enough when we, the business started because of my father's relationships in, with the advertising business of, of starting. Our foundation client was a really big one, great big FMCG, a lot of people working there and we ended up working right across that business because we, we've got a lot of diverse skill sets. So from the warehousing to the comms to the event to the partnerships, we end up working with a lot of people there and they move. They go to different companies and if we've done a good job for them and they like working with us, then they take, take us with them. And, that's, and we really, you know, we love that because it's obviously you're we're always thinking about You know, doing a great job, Um, and we have got an ethos of really servicing our clients very well, and looking after them and making them look good. You know, within their world, Um, and so we've found that new businesses come along that way. I mean, we've done a lot of sort of cold pitching and think, but the resource that takes, the amount of, you know, time and that takes it. You know, we found that it's actually better for us to work the room within the people we're working with and love the ones you're with love yeah. the ones you're with and they take you with them and so when we look at all of the sort of big significant clients we've got that's pretty much how all of them have come about from yeah people taking us with them
0: we have a lot of discussions um, particularly Laura about free pitching yeah yeah it's really interesting um i've tried not to free pitch for exactly the same reasons that you've Mm. talked about how do you navigate that minefield like when to pitch and when not to pitch yeah how do you navigate that
3: we usually discuss it and we decide is this worth doing is there a good strategic reason for it or do we have a good chance is there someone there who we know or not and there are some government ones that just come in the door and you've got no contact, they've just rung you off a list and we just no longer do them. You're fodder. Just don't mm-hmm. do them because there's so much involved and yep. so if we feel like there is no chance or we don't have a foothold in, in that way, when I say no chance, I mean yeah, we don't have a no connection. Chance. Yes. Yeah. Or if we haven't been referred by something, um, then we don't, we just
1: it's it's just too much out of the The team to do it? I personally would like to see free pitching go out the door. I personally would like to see clients, brands, properties take a stand and know that for any agency, for any business to do a pitch is so much resource and literal cost. It costs us to get illustrations done. It costs us to get graphic design done. If it's outside of our wheelhouse, you know, the cost to a business in resource and expense is so big. I almost feel like it would be more, can we meet you? Can you show us what you've done in the past? If you like our aesthetic, then let's continue down the road. Or if it's out of us and one other agency, I would prefer. When you're one of seven, the percentage that you're know that you going to get cut through goes down and down and down. But unfortunately, it's still something that happens in our industry. And I've yeah, I wish it wouldn't.
2: And pitching without budgets as well,
1: yeah. it's like
2: you're throwing at a dartboard. It's just impossible to know what level to to respond with. So really hard. So I'm assuming you just go back to them, ask that question. Well, they're government. They're government, and that's you know you know it's over a level, which is why it's being put out to tender. But they won't disclose the budget, so you just have to provide a response you know, based on the criteria that they've given you, but it's really difficult to know what level to go in at.
1: Lo and behold, you were too expensive, yeah. so we went with someone else. That's,
2: yeah, that's interesting. You, you want right? to be impressive, but you don't want to, yeah. you know, wow. put yourself out of the it's running. It's interesting because that would never happen in
0: private enterprise. Yeah. Just, yeah. Is, which is sensible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Yeah. I've got a question about the future of events, like, obviously the last three years has been insane. What do you think is going to happen to events?
1: I, Ros, I remember, was it either you or was it Mark Willett who said, you know, after the Spanish flu came the flapper era, (laughs) colours, sparkles, cocktails, dancing, you know. I hope that that is what is to come for us, that it will still, there will still be a bit of money out there for just a party. How great would that be? Yes, yeah, that's definitely. I just yeah after the Spanish flu came the flapper era after covid came the event era the party <sighs> era
3: i mean we're human beings we are social animals we yeah. need the Love connection. nothing more than being together and you know back we celebrate we eat mm-hmm. and drink together we dance together that's what we it's you know that's what we do it's going to come back right we just have to hang <laughs> in there yeah <laughs>
0: All right, I've got a quick fire round of questions for you now, and the first question we'll start with you, Roz. Stand up or sit down event, i.e., cocktail party or dinner party.
3: Yeah, I'm going to steal from Laura Crocker
2: because I saw her. Weep and we discussed it. <laughs> oh no, you're not. Oh, so Crocker, do you want to go first? Any type of party as long as there's a dance floor. Yeah, beautiful. A, love fitting. a dance,
3: and yeah.
2: <laughs> so we'll meet you there. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so is dancing something that you just love to do actually? Actually <laughs> just love a dance floor. I love to get low. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect answer. Yeah.
0: Laura Burnham, what about you?
1: Uh, dinner party, intimate conversations, good wine and good food. Happy dance.
0: So do you prefer an event with major impact or an
3: understated schmooze? I'm gonna say impact. I like them both, but i I'm, oh, love impact. Love a bit of theatre. Great, mm. gotta
2: bring out the <laughs> velvet hammer. <Yeah. laughs> I think impact as well because I think it's something that, as event creators, that we can that we can do. Like you know, we can be surprising and you know unexpected. And I it's think your that's, superpower really isn't it. Yeah, mm. well, that's what we try to achieve, <laughs> wizards. <laughs>
0: What
2: about you? I'm 50-50. I love the
4: impact, but the understated schmooze, and I think you can still really make that impactful and get your client to walk into a room and really be wowed by that intimacy and um, kind of low-key style of event as well. So 50-50 for me. Beautiful.
1: And I think a perfect follow-on from that is is both for me as well, Victor and Rolf, one of them, Hmm. sit down dinner for 30 people and who hasn't seen the napkins that you created, Amanda? I mean, one of the (laughs) best things ever. Absolutely. A napkin was a major impact for a schmoozy, intimate schmooze party. So for me it's why not both?
0: Great. Impact
1: and schmooze. Why not?
0: We've solved the problems of the world. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, Laura Burnham, are you front of house or back of house?
1: Oh, back of house, all the way. Because? Uh, Because I'm just more comfortable being just more comfortable being back out there and let the others enjoy it. What I love is a glass of wine at the end of event, mm-hmm. of an event. <laughs>
0: That's pretty special, isn't
1: yeah. it? Absolutely, that is my specialty. <laughs> 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 Absolutely, it feels so good. It also feels really good to be sober at the end of the day at the birdcage it's, when uh, you've yeah. been back a house it all day. It is kind of nice, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> it is the most. That is like a superpower. That feeling of yeah. driving out Absolutely. of the out of Flemington races. And everyone's yeah. got
0: their shoes off and Absolutely. crawling to the cage. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> You know, you see a beautiful girl in the morning, like, oh, you're so pretty. I wish I was more like you. And then you see her at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I am glad I am me. I think that's the reason that I'm front of house oh. because I love to watch the
2: watch it unfold. So
1: being door girl, yep, out in front, yeah. watching
2: all the pretty dresses and the girls walk past and deteriorate as,
1: <laughs> as the day goes on. Laura yeah. Nathan is our resident, um, incredible door girl. Yeah.
2: You must
0: have seen some or experienced very difficult. You definitely people. have,
4: yeah. Especially over um, birdcage and even Sydney Cup races, like you do deal with intoxicated people. And so, um, how do
0: you deal when someone just goes, "I'm coming into the marquee"? What do you do?
4: you've got to have the confidence to be like I'm sorry we're here to do a job for our clients and if you're not on the guest list or a client hasn't said yeah they're fine to come in I'm sorry keep on walking like we we are there for our clients and they're the the most important thing at the end of the day so we refer to the client and if we get the green light great but if not so sorry go enjoy your day elsewhere no ticket, no car. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to be brutal in those environments. Unfortunately, oh, and you, you really are good do. At being yeah, brutal, yeah no. I can be brutal I when I need to. I enjoy stuff. That, yeah. That, yeah. That, there there that's power. the other
1: key. You need to enjoy kicking people out. You should, you <laughs> do. Do. What a, a skill! skill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
4: but I would say that outside of being the door gal, I'm definitely a back of house gal as well. Just for the buzz and the excitement of everybody doing everything they can and running on adrenaline to get the job done. But then you want to be front of house for when those clients are walking into the room for the very first time and getting those reactions, especially when it's a full sensory overload, I love watching kind of, yeah, those reactions. And it is great when people
0: come in and they go, I mean, (laughs) I always we always have a double edged sword there. They come in and go, oh, my God, it looks so much even better than the drawings, which sort of is a complice of, like, I didn't think it was going to look like You know, it's like, but when cl- clients, because you've had the vision and you've only had a piece of paper yeah. to show for it, mm. so that it's not surprising that they react so beautifully in a fresh way, as you're saying. It is definitely beautiful as well. Yeah, for sure. So that's good.
3: It's These good. guys are all incredible event queens. That's what we call them. That's True. what I call them. They're event queens and they're all great, front and back of hand. And <laughs> Thanks, I am Rozzy. not <laughs> I am not an event queen.
2: You are the market. I just queen. run yeah. the business. <laughs> yeah, you're the business queen. You can hire well. <laughs> yeah.
0: I feel that like-minded people find each other. Mm. And I think you're an amazing example of
2: that.
1: Mm.
0: So I'd like to finish with what's your favorite quote? Who'd like to start?
3: Okay, so mine is um, we're not saving lives. So when the shit hits the fan, there's your does. expletive. <laughs> um, we just remind ourselves. And I actually had a like head of, head of a very big FMCG and something went wrong and, you know, it was going to, you know, come back on him. And he just said, look, we're just selling fizzy water. We're not saving lives. And I just thought, love you. <laughs> Love you. That's right. Got it in perspective. You know, get it in perspective. That's right. And, you know, we've all done our best and something's gone wrong, but we fix it usually and,
2: yeah. Great. Mm. What about you, Laura Crocker? Um, something that I heard from my alma recently and it's never forget where you came from. And I think it's important because everyone started somewhere and you know, we're so reliant on the people that we work with, our suppliers, our, our team, and, and they're the people that you lean on when you need to. So,
0: It's true. The suppliers that we work with are
2: incredible.
0: And there's so many times when you go back, and just one more thing on the millionth thing I've asked you to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, sometimes it's cringeworthy, but you have to do it. And um, so many of the suppliers have so much
3: space. Yes, you know, and yes. And uh, like you
0: say, it's incredible to have that humility and that uh, care with the people you work with. Mm. And that's, I guess, what you're saying about yeah. don't forget who, where you've come from.
2: Exactly. And, you that's know, we're beautiful. really no one without our suppliers because they're the ones that we make our clients look good, but they're the ones that make us look good. Mm-hmm. And they're
0: the clever people. Exactly. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think you know, if, if there is a challenge or a problem to overcome, they're the ones that, you know, you need the support from to solve mm. it. So true.
3: We, we always say to our new people, everyone gets respect from the courier to the CEO. Everyone's respected for what they do in their job and treated, you know, properly. So true. Mm. Wins every time. Or
4: Nathan? Uh, look for something positive in each day, even if some days you have to look a little harder. I think really rings true, especially after the two years that we've been through. That, yeah, you just got to look for that little bit of joy in each day just to bring you, yeah, kind of that piece of happiness. Perfect.
1: All right, Burnham? Well, I've got two. I know. I know. <laughs> I was yeah. like, is someone going to say it? Yeah, that I'll yeah. throw it in. Uh, this is one that we live and die by. It's the 80 20 rule 80% organised, right up to the Day, the, the time that the doors open, 20% will make it work on the night. You cannot be 100 percent prepared in the events world. So 80-20, 80-20. I
0: love that. And <laughs> yeah. it does show a certain amount of skill. You know? Absolutely. I mean, we're yes. the people who are the we leave it you at 80% when we work together. Yeah. We kind of walk away and watch it unfold. But you're the people then who make the magic on the day. And sometimes I've stood back and gone, Wow. How do they, it's moving and breathing. You know, all of our work is does the vision designed, costed and installed. But your 20% is how people react Mm -hmm. on the day. It's something someone's fallen down the stairs. It's someone, how do you you must find that fun. I'd find that stressful, but I think Mm -hmm. you must find that. Problem solving, the joy in that. There's you know? also
4: a solution to every problem. Yeah. It might not be ideal, but there is a solution to every problem. You can fix whatever you need to and get it done to a place where everyone is satisfied. Again, it might not be planned, but there mm. is a solution to everything. And
1: but, I think our creativity definitely is, yeah. a, is problem solving and it's not having an emotional response. So, like one of the hardest things to teach someone new coming into the industry is don't be emotional, be rational if something terrible start you know something terrible comes up think okay this has happened i can't change that what could the solution be yeah i love that yeah i love what you just said about you know that what we do is moving and breathing That's so what events is, movement and breath. People. Yeah. We also have another saying which is like, okay, that's future Laura's problem and future Laura (laughs) is busy. (laughs) The the 20% is that future Laura, future Laura. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The other saying that I've got is that there's so much freedom in knowing that you are completely replaceable. I think it continually puts you into perspective and it goes back to we're not saving lives we are completely replaceable i went on a 3 month holiday to italy and it was just amazing to know that i could leave and will it keeps going and the team keeps going and there's something beautiful in knowing that you know it doesn't end with you That is brilliant.
3: That's not to say, though. (laughs) (laughs) But when someone goes, it's like a member of the family going and it's really sad. You do operate
1: like a family. Yeah. I definitely get that vibe from you when I'm working with you. Our average tenure is seven to 12 years or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm 13 years in. What are you, Crocker?
2: I'm um, 10, and even once people leave, they've got a tendency to come back. Yeah, well, we've got
1: this the growing Chris- Christmas, party, Christmas list. party list. Yeah, <laughs> and Nathan, you're seven years, seven aren't you? Seven and and you a half to eight. Yeah, yeah. you know, like it we are a, fam- We're yeah. a family,
0: I definitely. Love yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a thrill, um, and I can't wait till we get this up next week. Thank Very you so exciting. much. Thank, Thank you, Amanda. You, Amanda. And, uh,
3: we love you too. <laughs> <laughs>